Podcasters assemble! Hi, I'm Jason from the Drinkopedia podcast. This is Katie from Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. Hey everyone, Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. Hi, I'm Arjuna Gonzalez from Thoughts from the Level Editor. Hello, I am the Robo Gonzalez 9001. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. This is Ryan Leopolis from the Fake Nerd podcast. Hey everyone, this is Becky, Troy's wife. And this is... Captain America Civil War. 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 I remember being really excited about Captain America Civil War early on in the production. I'd read some of the Civil War storyline before, but never finished it. But hearing that the movie was coming out renewed my interest in the idea of a a conflict so great that it put our greatest heroes against each other. It's the end of the Captain America trilogy for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And to do that, you got to wrap it up. You got to wrap up what is the arc that you know, the, the Russo brothers have started with Winter Soldier. You, there was a lot of cliffhangers from Winter Soldier. And how are we all going to wrap that up on top of telling the great tale that is Civil War? And I think the Russo brothers nailed it perfectly. Love Civil War, love Captain America's costume in this film. Probably my favorite of his costumes of the entire series to date. It, it looks like the Endgame one will be really great. But it was another one where it's like, oh, I want that costume. In the opening scene, there's this great action scene. It's a very public battle. There's gunfights going on in marketplaces. And ultimately what happens is one of the you know terrorists sets off an explosive. And Wanda manages to contain the blast and push it away from a marketplace full of people. Unfortunately, she pushes it towards a building, which also has people in it. The problem I feel with this is that the the actual attack that was happening was super visible. It's super obvious that if the Avengers hadn't stepped in, in that conflict with Crossbones, more people would have died than the people who died because the Avengers stepped in. This doesn't excuse the idea of oversight, but it just, that conflict didn't seem to be quite enough to catalyze this response for me. In that opening fight, I just have to give credit to uh, to Black Widow here. We get more of that refined spy fighting that I love so much. I believe she takes out eight dudes before Crossbones manages to land a hit on her. Nice job, Black Widow. Is another thing that sort of dealt with spy stuff, and we didn't get that Black Widow Hawkeye doing spy things that I'm just going to keep saying. I want to see. Like, that's why they're there. I love seeing uh, Thunderbolt Ross back in this movie. 
We haven't seen him since the Incredible Hulk. It's nice to see that tied in. He's now Secretary of Defense, and he's come here with the Sokovia Accords to tell the Avengers that it's time for them to step in line and become official. The world owes the Avengers an unpayable debt. You have fought for us, protected us, risked your lives. But while a great many people see you as heroes, there are some who would prefer the word vigilantes. Civil War has this unique thing where the the main villain, I guess, the A villain, isn't really a villain. It's Tony Stark. Uh, and then we have this kind of B-lister villain who's the real villain, right? Uh, Baron Zemo. There was a lot of it that felt sort of shoehorned in. Like the whole plot with Zemo and that sort of thing, like it could have just been closer to sort of the Civil War storyline of superheroes have to register with the government, they need government oversight, and more importantly, training, because in the comic books it happens because of a a group of younger superheroes that results in the death of a lot of people. Uh, In this case, it was Sokovia, and the fact that it was caused not by the Avengers, but by Tony Stark. So it does make sense that Tony Stark is like, yeah, no, I need to be I need to be reined in. And they're like, yes, it's all Tony Stark's fault. He's the guy that needs to stop screwing around, and yet he still does, and he lets these emotions get the better of him. But that's the core of his character, right, is he is emotionally driven. Captain America is ethically driven, if that makes sense, or morally driven. Zemo is upsetting in this movie. I know there's a lot that can be said about his plan and whether or not it makes sense, but he's just a terrifying dude. The the coldness that we see in him from the very beginning where he's torturing the colonel by tying him up upside down with his head in a sink full of water slowly filling up oh man it's messed up this guy creeps me out i think having tony stark as the villain is great uh because up to this point you know he's he's always been really antagonistic he's always been really quippy he's always made really bad decisions especially in the midst of age of ultron you know his whole first story arc is I make weapons, I feel bad, let's rectify that. He repeats it infinitely worse in Avengers 2. I make weapons, uh, it's the worst weapon ever, it's killed a whole bunch of people, let's make it right. And he's like, yeah, uh, why don't you all sign the Accords? Why? For your mistakes, Tony? For your arrogance? Uh, I think that really makes sense. I think while he is a huge part of the Avengers, he's a huge key to the Avengers. Uh, He also has created a lot of issues for the Avengers. And I think addressing that is extremely important for the MCU. The biggest conflict in this movie is between Tony and Cap. And it starts right here when the Sokovia Accords are first brought up. And the thing that sucks about it is really it's just a matter of neither of them are listening to each other. Iron Man is absolutely right at the beginning of the movie. I I think I'm on Tony's side. That that registration with uh, the UN makes some amount of sense. However, I think Cap's also right that that's a certain amount of that is just kind of shifting the blame around. It just means that they can say that it's not their fault if something goes sideways. It, it's it's a tough issue, but but neither of them are willing to even acknowledge the possibility that the other one is right. And I think this is especially true for Captain America because. He's Captain America. He's the golden boy. He is the poster child for doing the right thing. And so for him, I don't think he can even conceptualize of the possibility that what he thinks is the right thing to do might not actually be the right thing to do. (laughs) 
And we can't forget the heart-shattering final moments that we get to see between Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. I mean, we don't actually get a scene between the two of them. Um, In this film, Peggy Carter, basically, she passes away in this movie. And Steve flies to London to be there for her funeral. And they do this kind of close-up on Steve's face as he's carrying Peggy's casket. And there's just this look of utter heartbreak on his face because he's basically carrying the casket of the woman that he spent his entire life loving. And it hurts. It's, it kind of, it just destroys your heart. Um, so my favorite line of dialogue, and I'm going to try not to cry when I read this. Um, so Sharon Carter is at Peggy's funeral. And Sharon Carter is Peggy's niece. And she says, I asked her once how she managed to master diplomacy and espionage in a time when no one wanted to see a woman succeed at either. And she said, compromise where you can, but where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say, no, you move. And, of course, this the camera zooms in on Captain America during this, and it's just this excellent uh, explanation of his side of the main conflict of this movie. During the funeral, Cap is ruminating over this decision to sign the accords or not. And in it, his love interest and Peggy Carter's niece, that's kind of weird, is kind of giving him this option, you know, plant yourself. It's in the words of his first love, which, one, harkens back to the first movie because her will rivals that of his. You know, she's there for a reason, and she's a strong character with this immovable set of values. And that, you know, really reflects in him. That's always who he's been. And the Russo brothers understand this version of Captain America the best. You know, he's going to be super stubborn, and he's going to stick to his guns no matter what, even though... Technically speaking, the Soviet Accords are way better for everyone in life. But Captain America is going to stick to his guns. He's going to stick to the choice of freedom. He's going to stick to who he is and what makes him really Captain America. And I think that scene so perfectly solidifies that and his character. And it's not just guys punching each other. It's a real guy who has real conflict. But my favorite action sequence has to be the escape sequence uh, from Romania where Captain America is trying to track Bucky down. I think it nails so many good bits uh, in modern day action scenes. We've got close quarters combat. You know, Bucky is using, he's using the full utility of his metal arm. Cap is doing the full utility of his Jason Bourne-esque action that the Russo brothers have brought into it. A guy gets smacked in the face with a battering ram. Oh, it's so good. But we have this interesting use of elevation uh, within that initial breakout scene. And then it transitions to comic booky slash it's a it's a runaway, it's a getaway chase scene. My favorite action scene is when we get our first real look at the Black Panther when he attacks Bucky on the rooftop in Bucharest. Uh, the costume is just 
incredible. And when he like he brings out his claws, I got goosebumps. Like I still remember that scene when I was watching it in the theater. This is that moment when you really get to see how Black Panther matches up against both Bucky and Captain America. And we don't, I think at that point, we don't know who the Black Panther is until he takes off his mask at the end when they get caught. And everyone sees that, oh my God, Black Panther is actually T'Challa, like the the new king of Wakanda. And so prior to that, like what we're seeing is Black Panther is chasing Bucky, Cap, and uh, chasing Bucky. And then Cap and Falcon are chasing both of them because they're trying to save Bucky from the Black Panther. And what occurs is probably one of the most epic chase slash fight scenes on a road uh, in this particular movie. Black Panther and um, Bucky were all chasing each other through a tunnel and Cap decides that he's going to take an SUV so he can go faster. And then you've got Black Panther who's hanging on the side of a car that Cap stole. And I'm like, Captain America can drive. That's exciting. Also, I don't know why he can't just run because he runs real fast. Um, but he gets an SUV. And as they get to the end of the tunnel, Cap ends up crashing into something. And the truck is rolling. And he literally jumps out of the truck and starts running as the truck is still rolling or SUV, whatever it is. But it was pretty cool. A lot of different things happen, but one of my favorite things is that Bucky does this kind of move where he grabs a moving motorcycle and flips it through the air. And then as it comes down, he jumps on it and takes off. And I mean, that was some pretty cool stuff. I also really liked um, uh, Black Panther in that scene as well, because he's awesome. It's just amazing. And I mean, in the end, they end up getting arrested, which kind of sucks. But the road to get to that point is pretty cool because you get to see a lot of choreographed fight movements and how just how powerful Black Panther is and that ridiculous like speed that they have running. You got like Super Soldier Bucky and you've got T'Challa and you've got Super Soldier Captain America like all chasing after each other uh, along with Falcon flying through the air. So it's a, it's pretty tight. And I think that's great because one, we get introduced to Black Panther in that very first scene. So we're getting some nice, awesome Black Panther action. Uh, two, we're getting the full extent of three super soldiers chasing each other on a highway. And I think those are some awesome, awesome beats there. And I think it really shows that minimalist action can sometimes be the best because it's not the biggest action scene by any stretch of the imagination in this movie. But I think it's the best and most well done and also has a lot of stakes to it. I think there's a lot of suspense kind of within it of who's going to chase who and who's going to catch who. My favorite villain moment isn't actually uh, the the villain of the movies moment, Baron Zemo. It's actually the antagonist Tony Stark uh, in the scene where he's signing the he's going to sign the accords with Captain America, and he brings uh, the pens from uh, the treaty signed in World War Two or World War One. I, I don't remember, but it's a very important uh, couple of pens that his father gave him, uh, and it's to show a sign of you know them coming together as friends. Uh, and they've been going through so much drama with these accords, and Captain America is ready to sign. 
and uh, and Tony's like, hey, man, I can't wait to have you back out there once we get Wanda reinstated. And Steve's like, what do you mean get Wanda reinstated? And he's like, oh, yeah, Wanda's un- under house arrest. And I'm like, oh, Steve, Steve, Steve's like, oh, come on, Tony. Come on, man. You can't just lock people up. She's a human being. She's also like a walking nuclear bomb, so I can understand his point of view. Uh, but him being the antagonist, Tony Stark, uh, he just doesn't see that human lives, uh, that uh, superheroes are also people with, you know, uh, feelings. And don't lock Wanda up. She, she got grounded. She doesn't like being grounded. Part of Tony's plan here as the Sokovia Accords go into effect is that he's got Scarlet Witch locked up in Avengers Mansion, uh, or the Avengers Compound, I guess, with uh, Vision keeping an eye on her. But Hawkeye comes to the rescue. Hawkeye, who's supposed to be retired, gets a call from Cap, and he comes to get Scarlet Witch out. And uh, there's a nice moment here where uh, Hawkeye kind of gets the drop on Vision using a couple of trick arrows and manages to stall him for a few seconds. But Vision breaks out of that pretty quick, and I did like the one between Vision, the Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye. Because it had so many of those scenes where somebody tries to kick or punch him, but they just phase through, kind of like Loki in the other movies. And then Vision beats them up. Yep. Just totally destroys Hawkeye until Scarlet Witch uses her powers on Vision. The Scarlet Witch just telekinetically drills Vision deep into the ground through several sub-basements or what have you. And he says, If you do this, they will never stop being afraid of you. And Wanda replies, I can't control their fear, only my own. My my favorite dangling thread in this movie would probably be uh, Vision and Wanda uh, getting a little bit closer. Because if you know uh, the comic relationships, they get married and have kids. And that's weird that an android and a Scarlet Witch Lady are married with kids. So uh, the fact that Marvel is just fully leaning into that and uh, we might have a Scarlet Witch Vision series on the Disney Plus streaming service just shows that like, hey man, Android loves here to stay, baby. In the middle of the movie... Zemo's plan has kind of been at least partially revealed. He's uh, infiltrated the CIA task force so that he can be the one to talk one-on-one with with Bucky. And he uses the secret command codes that he got from Hydra to brainwash Bucky into, into becoming his slave, basically. He's mostly doing this to get information, but a nice side benefit is that Bucky then goes on a rampage through the CIA building and just takes out everybody. He fights, let's see, he fights Cap, he fights Falcon, he fights Black Widow, he fights Tony, he fights T'Challa, and he's just unstoppable. And I, I really like this. I love any time we get to see Bucky fight, but especially here, because I feel like it gives us a chance to see what it must be like to go up against Captain America. The dude just is relentless. Spider-Man is here, we get to meet Spidey, we go to Queens, we get introduced to Aunt May, we get introduced to Peter Parker, the scene is wonderful, it's full of charm, it's absolutely fantastic, and Spider-Man is here, and I'm just, I'm so excited about it. I'm not too sure how I feel about Peter Parker as a high school kid, mostly because all I've seen of Spider-Man is the old 90s Fox Kids cartoons, and I I don't know, I always sort of imagined him as a 20s-ish type of character, but eh, maybe he'll grow on me when I get around to Homecoming. 
Cap's got his new team all assembled. They're ready to go try to chase down the other Winter Soldiers that we've just found exist. When the airport that they're at suddenly gets evacuated, and they realize Tony's here. It's time. It's time for the actual Civil War, which in this case is a six-on-six fight in an airport instead of, you know, a couple hundred people. But that's okay. It's still a really good scene. And it starts with Cap saying, suit up. In terms of favorite action scene, I think everyone's go-to is the airport scene, right? It's the ultimate epitome of you being a kid collecting all your action figures from various universes and just making them, just throwing them at each other. My favorite action scene in Captain America Civil War is obviously the airport battle. Uh, It's just, it has so many excellent moments of interpersonal uh, character battles, you know, Black Panther, Captain America, Black Panther, Hawkeye, uh, Ant-Man, War Machine, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, Captain America, pretty much any comic book battle uh, between Marvel characters you'd like to see, it happens in this movie. Uh, I really think it's uh, engaging and it's really fun. I think it's uh, really well written. Uh, I think it's shot pretty well, and uh, it's uh, it has uh, the vision uh, drawing a literal line in the sand with his laser beams, which is a uh, which is real cool and uh, and silly. The the airport scene. Now I've watched videos on YouTube where they talk about how it's not nearly as well shot as say one of Joss Whedon's action sequences. That it's shot okay, but it doesn't look great, and the colors don't pop so much because it's digital and yada yada yada. But I still have to tell you, to see Spider-Man show up and web Captain America's shield and stand there, I had the biggest nerdgasm. I choked up a little bit because, again, I was this kid who liked comics, and that was, it was just me. I had no other friends that liked comic books growing up. All through high school, wasn't really until college that I met other people that liked comics uh, close to the level that I did. And to see that happening on screen, it was like when you saw the Sam Raimi you know, Spider-Man films, or you saw Wolverine pop his claws for the first time in the first X-Men movie. My favorite hero moment is uh, not the main character's big moment in the action scene at the airport. It's actually Ant-Man turning into Giant-Man. It's just a really fun, uh, unexpected moment for people who are unaffiliated with the comics. Uh, You know, if you do know them, you kind of expect it to see it coming. But even still, uh, it was real fun, and that airport battle is just, you know... A big uh, comic book splash page come to life, and seeing Giant Man on the screen uh, was real fun, and Paul Rudd is a blast to watch. All of the different parts of it were excellent, especially the one where Ant-Man turns into Ant-Man-Zilla, and he's fending off uh, the Tony Stark faction uh, so that Cap'n and... Bucky can get to the plane. I haven't read any Ant-Man comics. I didn't see the Ant-Man movie, so I didn't know he could grow to something huge. And so it was out of left field and it was amazing. I know it was kind of shoehorned in. It was there just to be the big spectacle thing. Uh, But man, it was great. At the end of the airport fight, Vision is staring down Captain America and says a line that's eerily similar to what we heard from Ultron at the beginning of Age of Ultron. He says, Captain Rogers, I know you believe what you're doing is right, but for the collective good, you must surrender now. My favorite hero moment is when Tony realizes that Bucky was framed for the explosion in Vienna by Zemo and decides to kind of go rogue in a sense and head to the Siberian Hydra facility and strike a truce with Steve and Bucky so that they can defeat uh, Zemo. 
At this point, Tony has basically been trying to set an example for the others by following the Sokovia Accords and playing by the rules and basically pointing out that Captain America, Falcon, Scarlet Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Ant-Man are, what they're doing is wrong and that they should be following the Accords and sign the papers and, you know, have that government regulation and then... As soon as Tony basically sees an opportunity to try to fix things between the Avengers, he basically breaks the rules and runs off to Siberia to try to help them. And for me, that's kind of a a hero moment for Tony because he finally kind of realizes that uh, maybe what we're seeing isn't what we're supposed to be seeing, that maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes and... Since Tony now kind of realizes that, he takes it upon himself to try to fix that, which, I mean, is great because sometimes Tony doesn't always make the best decisions. And I think in this moment, he does make the right decision to try to fix things between him, Steve, and Bucky. My favorite villain moment is the scene at the end of the movie at the Siberian base, which has the big reveal of Zemo's evil plan. It's very well done, uh, and the swerve at the end definitely caught me by surprise. I thought Captain America and Barnes were walking into a big showdown with five other super soldiers. And then not only do we just have this encounter with Zemo and the two super soldiers against one dude, how's that going to work out? But he shows Iron Man the footage of Bucky killing Mr. and Mrs. Stark, and Tony Stark is going to flip out like you've never seen him flip out before. What I really love about this movie is, you know, most of Marvel movies or most superhero movies are, are uh, you know, your heroes fighting your bad guys with some, with some you know, uh, heroes like bickering back and forth. But there's never really been like a, a Civil War-esque movie. You know, in the comics, heroes fighting heroes is, is second nature. That happens all the time. But in movies, it doesn't really happen that often uh, up until the same year Batman v Superman and Civil War came out. But uh, we're not going to talk about one of those movies. I think Civil War uh, best represents what that comic uh, was, because I think this movie's better than the comic, uh, because you really believe uh, that Steve believes in his in his cause, and he believes Tony believes in his cause. And when it comes to saving people's lives, uh, you know, if this were a real-life situation, the government would have to be involved, and you can't just have people running around with superpowers. You, you know, Hulk and Thor, 30-ton nuclear bombs. Uh, you can't just have them walking around, and I totally get that. Uh, I side with Captain America in the situation, but, you know... Tony Stark, he's not wrong. They got to be put in check. And I think uh, having them, having your hero and your other hero fight each other uh, is really strong. And especially because Tony Stark started this whole franchise, uh, having him be your main bad guy, basically, for this movie, uh, I think surprised a lot of people because they weren't super familiar with the comics. Um, And seeing your best buds fight each other is real sad, guys, and it's real great. Zemo shows Steve, Tony, and Bucky the footage from the 1991 car crash that we kind of saw at the beginning of the film. And this is the moment where it's revealed that the Winter Soldier version of Bucky Barnes murdered Tony's parents. So Zemo showed this footage knowing that it would enrage Tony, so much so that he would focus all his energy in trying to avenge his parents' murder by trying to kill Bucky. And Zemo could, like, try to escape or 
I think he tries to kill himself or something. And he ends up getting stopped by T'Challa. And, of course, like, knowing Steve in this moment, if Tony starts to attack Bucky, Steve's going to stand up and try and everything in his power to try to save Bucky because it's Captain America, that Steve Rogers, and that's his best friend that his other friend is trying to kill. The end of the movie, the climax, is kind of finding out that Bucky was the one who actually killed Tony's parents, and, and Tony just he can't move past that he he saw past the brainwashing before this scene but now that he's realized that bucky's the one who took his parents from him there's no way he can forgive that hopefully in the long term he'll be able to but in the moment it means that they go back to fighting again and it's it's bucky and cap versus versus iron man um and one of the lines here that really sticks out to me is uh iron man's kind of got a hold on bucky and he goes do you even remember them and Bucky says, I remember all of them. Which just, I I hate that line because it, it, it hurts. It hurts so bad because Bucky's, he's an innocent. He was used, but he remembers it. And God, that's so much worse than if he just was mindless. He knows what he did. He couldn't control it at the time, but he knows what he did. It's, it's very reminiscent of Angel from Buffy where he remembers being Angelus. He knows what he did when he was dark. And he can't just forget that just because he's not anymore. It kills me to say this, but I think this is the first time where we kind of start to see Steve Rogers, our precious Captain America, is actually as kind of a villain. Because his sense of righteousness and his inability to accept when he's wrong is just not great. And I personally have mentioned before that that Steve is this good man with a good heart, but sometimes he gets in his own way and eventually it's going to catch up to him. And this is, this is that moment. He has this blind spot for Bucky and he will do anything to protect him, to make sure that he survives because of the history that the two of them have. And in the fight scene between Bucky and Tony and Steve, you finally get this sense that maybe neither one of them are right between Steve and Tony. Like Tony has this unwillingness to see reason in that final fight and Tony and Steve are just fighting. It just kind of breaks your spirit because Tony has every right to be angry because Bucky's winter soldier killed his parents. But at the same time, that brainwashed person isn't Bucky. And I guess like finally finding out like why your parents died is like you're going to be unable to see reason. And I think that Steve doesn't see that either. And they both sort of keep pushing each other and watching them fight just kind of breaks your spirit. Um, both of them are fighting because they think they are right. And neither one of them is, in my opinion, right. They're both kind of wrong. And in this and the reason in which that they're fighting against each other and they won't listen that's the problem is they're not listening to each other i think this movie is really all about communication and bullheadedness and uh the fact that when when we're obsessed with an idea it stops us from being able to communicate and i think that's all wrapped up at the end when black panther is talking to to zemo he's talking to the man who killed his father and he says vengeance has consumed you it's consuming them 
I am done letting it consume me. Justice will come soon enough. And Steve is fighting to save Bucky because he's his friend. And he says that. And what Tony says in response just hurts because he goes, so was I. And it kind of crushes your heart because we kind of realize in this moment that neither one of them is going to back down. Tony thinks he's beaten Cap and that uh, once his suit kind of analyzes all of Cap's movements and he tells him to stay down. And of course, after all of these movies, we know that Cap is not that kind of person, that if he has any amount of energy left, he's going to stand up and keep fighting because he's just stubborn. And he gets up and says, I can, I can do, do this, this all day. day. Uh, that's a real, real strong Captain America moment. Yeah, he doesn't like to give up. He would be the best Green Lantern, but that's a different universe, baby. That's just who Captain America is. It's who Steve is. And they keep fighting, and Steve, like, takes off Iron Man's helmet, and he kind of raises his shield up above his head. And in that moment, you're kind of worried that maybe, like, we don't know to what length Cap will go to protect his friend. And for a hot second, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't sure whether or not Steve was going to stop. I thought he was going to kill Tony. And I think Tony also thought that too. But what he ends up doing is crashing the shield down into his chest, basically disabling the whole Iron Man suit. And let me just say that seeing the shield sticking out of Iron Man's chest is an image that's burned into my brain right next to the image of the shield laying on the ground after Steve drops it because Tony tells him he doesn't deserve it. Uh, he doesn't deserve to have it because Tony's father made it for him. And basically, Tony kind of feels like Steve not only betrayed him, but also Howard because Howard worked so hard and risked his life and risked a lot of things to try to save Cap back in World War II. So he kind of feels the ultimate betrayal because Steve had a relationship with both Tony and his father. And right in that moment when he chooses Bucky over Tony, he betrays them both, both Howard's memory and Tony's friendship with him. But again, the core of this this movie was Bucky, and we just... I don't feel like we've had enough character develop with him. We know him through his relationship to Steve Rogers, and we know that Steve Rogers cares about him, so we should care about him. But I don't know how true that is. I think he looks great. I I think Sebastian Stan does a good job as him. I just don't think we have the emotional impact. And Zemo was tough. Zemo was a tough villain. I thought he was a really interesting villain. Uh... But if you go, it's sort of like the Joker in the Dark Knight. If you go and actually peel apart his plan, none of it makes any sense. Or it's very reliant on very specific things happening. So I think a lot of that is too bad. You know, there is that scene towards the end where we show Zemo locked up and he's in the same cage that Bucky was in. But you know how it is with Marvel villains. Are we going to see him again? Is he really going to stay locked up forever? Is Loki going to break him out of prison and infuse him with superpowers two movies from now? So the dangling threads that just kill me in this movie are the fracture that happens between the relationship between Tony and Steve. 
And, of course, Hawkeye's freaking disappearance, and we have no idea what happens to him. But the way that Tony and Steve leave things is probably in the worst possible place. And at this point, we have no real idea if the two of them will ever make up and become friends again. Um, Obviously, we're going to see them later on. But even then, like, I don't even know if they're going to make up. So a lot of things happened. And, of course, we have no idea what the hell happened to Hawkeye. I mean, where did Clint Barton go? And will we ever see him again? Hopefully, like, obviously this is going to be answered later on, clearly. But where did he go? I want to know where he's been. And I need somebody to tell me. And I feel like the ending, in the end, didn't really have any consequences, right? Like... Well, I suppose that's not true. That's not true. I take it back. Uh, I mean, there are people that get locked up and then at the end you see Captain America and they get released and then things kind of go back. But no, we do still have that split between Captain America and Iron Man. That is sort of the core of what this film had to achieve. It had to introduce a number of characters and split those two characters up so that when they come back together in Endgame, which we just assume is going to be the case, it's going to be a big moment. Um, so my Stanley moment for this movie is, um, actually towards the end of the movie. Um, Tony is back at the compound or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he's talking to the Falcon and, um, a FedEx driver knocks on the window and is trying to like read the package and says, are you Tony Stank? And, and Rhodes goes, yes, this is. This is Tony Stank. You're in the right place. Thank you for that. I'm never dropping that, by the way. Table for one, Mr. Stank. Please, by the bathroom. <laughs> um, and the FedEx driver was Stanley, of course. <laughs> Cap writes a letter to Stark after everything, and um, says, Tony, I'm glad you're back at the compound. I don't like the idea of you rattling around a mansion by yourself. We all need family. The Avengers are yours, maybe more so than mine. I've been on my own since I was 18. I never really fit in anywhere, even in the army. My faith's in people, I guess, individuals, and I'm happy to say that, for the most part, they haven't let me down which is why I can't let them down either. Locks can be replaced, but maybe they shouldn't. I know I hurt you, Tony, and I guess I thought by not telling you about your parents, I was sparing you. But I can see now that I was really sparing myself, and I'm sorry. Hopefully one day you can understand. I wish we agree on, agreed on the accords. I really do. I know you're doing what you believe in, and that's all any of us can do. That's all any of us should. So no matter what, I promise you, if you need us, if you need me, I'll be there. I thought that was really sweet that he wrote that. And even after they were on completely opposite sides fighting each other, like literally almost to the death, um, he was still his friend. And he's still willing to be there for him if he needs him. And I thought that was really cool. And again, this film, it was a stepping stone, right? It was Avengers 2.5. You know, it's its kind of distracted by the fact that it's kind of Avengers 2.5. Because they had to, in this film, 
Figure out a way to get Ant-Man involved in the rest of the Avengers. Figure out a way to get Spider-Man involved in the rest of the Avengers. Figure out a way to get Black Panther involved there with the rest of the Avengers. Show character development with everybody else. Like, show some sort of repercussions with uh, Rhodey getting injured. Like, they had to throw so much into this film. This is the final movie in the Cap trilogy, and... Uh, it forever will be with Chris Evans kind of leaving and ending his contract after Endgame. And let me just say, uh, it's the best trilogy, right? Like, in terms of quality and in terms of consistency throughout, I think Cap is by far the best trilogy. And I think that comes from the Russo brothers really trying to understand what this character is in terms of the source material. Why is Cap so stubborn and un, like unwavering in his values? And then two, what makes this version different and better in the MCU. You know, Cap in the comics is more of a stern kind of guy, but in the MCU, he's a very good boy. And God, do they do they play into that. Chris Evans is just so good. I really struggled with Civil War this time around. I was excited about it when it first came out. I was excited about it as a superheroes bashing into each other. It was like getting all your toys out and smashing them into each other. And, and those moments are fun, but this movie isn't fun. It's dark and upsetting, and I think it hit me a lot harder watching it in rapid succession with the other movies because it was just two days ago that we saw everybody sitting around having a drink after the party at Avengers Tower, and now, now everybody's falling apart, and that's really hard to see. Um, it, it hit me a lot harder this time than it ever did before. Still a great movie, but it's not a fun one but it's important the avengers are disassembled that's one of the craziest things that could happen in this current universe you know we've spent the last i think five to six years building up this repertoire building up this team building up these relationships and then we're all we're just going to crash all of them down right now where are the avengers going to go what is Captain America going to do without his shield? What is Iron Man going to do? What is Vision going to do post this film? And I think that's what the Russo brothers brought. And I think it's happened before in the MCU, but I think that's what the Russo brothers perfect is really what's going to happen. What's the anticipation? Why can't I wait till the next MCU film to see what happens? What are the ramifications of this? Because if you're going to build a universe and if you're going to build stakes, you got to connect it and you got to add in some kind of like ramifications to everyone's actions or else they're just kind of separate movies that are sort of connected to each other but the Russo brothers really make it kind of this interconnected thread this interconnected narrative all leading up to Endgame baby Podcasters Assemble Probably is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably podcast network. This episode edited and produced by me, Troidal Power. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com, 
and learn how to join the initiative and contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble probably by looking us up on Twitter as at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the places you can find them online. Special thanks to executive producer Tyler Thornton for keeping this show on track. My favorite hero moment is the scene where Vision is cooking paprikash for the Scarlet Witch, mostly because it's so relatable. I've cooked dinner for Arjuna a couple of times, and yeah, just following a recipe, I don't understand how humans do it. Like, Vision's amygdala is synthetic, my taste buds are synthetic, man. Podcasters Assemble probably will return in Doctor Strange. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm liking the angle of the dangle. The Russo brothers are really playing that angle and delivering us a fantastic set of trilogy movies. And as far as I'm concerned, the best trilogy don't at me or do at me because I'd love to talk about this. Cap is better than the Iron Man trilogy. Let's be real.